Welcome to the Saints Church Highlands podcast. We hope that this message encourages and guides you to connect with God this week. In Ephesians 2, it says, And now you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked. You were following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived. We all did this in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. But God, verse 4 says, was so rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. Any believer, any Christian that comes and says, well, why should I serve? Why should I invite people? Why should I? It's like, well, okay, let's remember why. We all were once dead in our sin and trespasses. Without the grace of Jesus, without that but God moment and him showing up and us coming to a realization of he loved us so much that while we didn't even know we needed him, he would pull us out. That should be enough why to move us to, okay, God, I feel you, I hear you, I've experienced you. Now let's move on to the what and the how. But we behave like my teenagers do sometimes. Because when I give an answer to why, they say, well, why? I say, because of this. Well, why, Dad? Why? And, and, and little kids do this all the time, too. But I find it really funny that, especially around, uh, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and I find it really funny around, you know, probably grade five to grade eight, Kids and preteens get real annoying, and they ask why all the time. And the thing about that is, I think it's just the nature, because we get older and we think we have all the answers. So, you know, my kids that are grade 10 and older, they think they know everything. They don't ask me why anymore. They tell me and they argue with me why I'm wrong. But dad, they don't say, you know, they say, but dad, and they try to correct things all the time. But my, my younger son still asks why all the time. And I say that because you know, as a youth pastor, you're constantly getting it. Guys, we're going to go do this. We're going to be so, why Pastor Jeremy? Why Pastor Jeremy? I had youth kids telling uh, Seb's cousin as one of the youth leaders, why do we have to listen to Pastor Jeremy? He's so old. It's like listening to Dr. Phil every week. I was 28 at the time. Like, this is just the nature in the rawness of how youth treat you. They just say what they're thinking before they even think what it actually comes across like and and so I I've my kids are kind of on the tail end of high school and I found this really interesting about grade 10 or so young people hit this like existential crisis where they realize they actually have to do something with their life and make something of themselves and some kids handle it really well because they're super chill and easygoing and they think they'll figure it out uh not my kids uh both of my older ones have been in this place where like if I don't figure this out, Dad, and I don't pass this course, and I don't get these grades, nothing's ever going to come to fruition in my life, and it's all going to fall I'm like, whoa, we're talking about, like, grade 10 here, you know? And then, so, part of parenting and part of growth is coaching through, oh, no, no, so now there is a what and a how. Now, now you move from all the why questions, but they get stuck on the what. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What does this look like? What does it look like? And then they don't know how to get there. And so when you start asking God, and I started walking with this with my older two uh, children, I started saying, okay, do you believe that God cares about you? Well, yeah, you, you taught us that. We believe it. 
And I said, I believe that every single person created in the image of God has a space and a square and a realm that God has created for them in this earth. Okay, so if God made that for you, I think if you would say, God, what do you have for me? He will show you. But I pastored young people for years and say, Pastor Jeremy, what if I miss the will of God for my life? What if you just asked him and followed him and trusted him to open the door and then you start saying, okay, God, I got a glimpse of that. Now, how am I going to do it, right? Because my kids can decide, okay, this is the what. This is what I want to be. This is where I want to go. But then they say, well, how am I going to get there? Good question, son. You're going to start focusing on your homework. You're actually going to do better on your tests because you want to do these things. And then when there's a what in front of you, the how becomes, okay, now I can take a step, one step at a time, and move into that. But I think in our faith as believers, we do the same thing. As we grow in our faith, as we pursue purpose and calling, we need to start asking about the what and the how aspects of our faith so we can keep moving, so we can keep walking, so we can keep following Jesus because he's created a space and a place for you to walk in that is unique to you, but it's tied into the body and how we flourish together. And some believers, they, they do certain things, and they haven't even gotten past the why question. And I think if we have a lot more believers saying, God, what is for me, and how am I supposed to do it, and how am I supposed to respond, uh, the church as a whole would be a whole lot further down the road. But we got to trust Jesus. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to challenge us uh, because I have to challenge myself in this constantly in three areas of our faith that hopefully lead us into a greater strength and a deeper purpose. Because I think that's what we want. We don't want a faith that is merely experiential. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I love the presence of God. I love encountering him in worship. I love those moments. But if you leave that and then you think, I don't even know what to do with this after the rest of the week. We are missing out on a whole lot of purpose and meaning that God has for us that he has for you. And I can't answer these questions for you in your Monday to Friday life, and, and you can't answer it for me. So what we have to start doing is coming to the Lord and saying, God, what and how, and what are these areas that you want me to grow in? And so tonight, very simply, what I want to do is I want to challenge us in three areas. Is that okay? Because i got to challenge myself in these same things. Challenge area number one. I believe all of us, when we start following Jesus, we come to a place where we have to start answering the questions, what will we stand for and how will we position ourselves? That's the first what and the how. What will we stand for and how will we position ourselves? And, and I'm going to give you a cheat code to this because the honest truth is, when we live in a world with so many issues and so many things and so many causes that you could give yourself to, I believe God uniquely imprints things on people's hearts that you're going to specialize certain ones. Uh, God's given us a blueprint in scripture of what is important to his heart. And when we start seeing that, the causes will become clear. And we get kind of worried about it. But if we're never asking God, what am I supposed to be standing for and how am I going to position myself? We find ourselves at a loss and we're overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. And, and I see men that don't know how to lead their families and, and the, the, just the havoc that has been happening in uh, the, the family unit and God's plan and how we walk out this life and we do life together as a church family and all of these things. And if we don't get back to the, God, what do we stand for and how are we going to get there and how are we going to lead people in that and how will we position ourselves, we will be lost. And 
Nobody wants to follow someone who's lost. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be a guiding force towards the things of God as the church, not people come into church and they say, well, what should we stand for? What does God want for us? And we're wishy-washy on, I don't know, and maybe, and all this stuff. No, no, God's laid it out in Scripture. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of my favorite scriptures right now, probably in the last two years, we find a king named Jehoshaphat, and he comes to a place in his kingship where the whole kingdom is under attack. And people are like, is this the end of us? Where's God's plan in this? What's the purpose? All of this stuff. And it says this in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3 to 7. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Now, here's the, here's the great thing. Here's a leader that was honest enough to admit that I'm afraid. Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But here's a leader smart enough to say, the next step is I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to get in his presence. And so what he does, uh, and sometimes churches don't like this. Sometimes uh, the, the leaders stand up and they say, we're going to proclaim a fast. We're going to proclaim a thing that happens. Why? Because God is needing to speak to us, and we need the direction from him, not our own ideas. So when that happens, people now have a choice to respond to. And they say, what will they stand for, and what will they position themselves for? But good leaders realize they have to do that in their own lives, too, and say, I, I answer to God. So the the things I stand for, how I position myself, it's solely dependent on what God wants to speak into my life. And so he goes and he seeks the Lord and he calls us fast. And, and this is what Jehoshaphat starts doing. I'm not going to read all these verses, but uh, four, uh, four, five, six, and seven says like he was praying to God and he starts saying, God, didn't you do this? Didn't you say this, God? Lord, this is what your word says. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we should position ourselves. And he starts doing this. And it strikes me very interestingly that in verse 13, we pick up the scripture. It says this. It says, meanwhile, everyone say meanwhile. meanwhile. All Judah stood before the Lord. And I love this part. I'm hammering this hard at Glory Hills right now. They stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Families belong in church. And churches for spouses, kids, generations. And how we stand and how we position ourselves, it will be modeled from one generation to the next. And, and, and I, you know, bug parents, I'm like, if you're never in worship or prayer, how will your kids ever understand that it's important to be in worship and pray and to walk with God? And I thank God we have amazing uh, kids, leaders, and teachers, but that's not enough. Sending them to a Christian school is not enough. Parenting is the sole responsibility to stand and lead your families and walk before God. And how you position yourself in that stage of life as a parent is critical to how your kids will learn to walk with God and see how they should respond in difficult times, like uh, Jehoshaphat was in here. And so it says, meanwhile, the whole congregation, all of Judah, stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. In other words, he was the son of a priest, a Levite, a worshiper. And he said this, Listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. 
Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel, and you will not need to fight in this battle. I wish that God said that to me all the time. I wish every time that I went before the Lord with a struggle or a battle or a situation, Lord, just, just give me that word. You will not need to fight this battle. And sometimes God's like, nope, get ready to fight. <laughs> But then he said this, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf in Judah and Jerusalem, and do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. And when we ask the question, God, what am I supposed to stand for? How am I supposed to position myself? I think the key is in this, whether the Lord fights the battle on your behalf whether you have to partner with God and walk through some stuff and fight the battle with him, our responsibility is to get into the presence of God, to stand firm. And if we don't know what we're standing for or against, we can't stand firm. And and scripture is full of things that we should stand for. Family, people, the lost, the principles of God, the truths of his word. And, And if we don't get them in our hearts, we need to stand firm on the promises of God. We need to be in position, ready to war in spiritual warfare. Because that is a that is a very critical part of our faith. But we don't look at the situation. We look for the salvation of the Lord. So when you're growing in your faith and saying, God, what should I stand for and how should I position myself? You should stand for the things that God has deeply convicted you in your heart. Some of you have a call to see people set free. Some of you have a call to reach people who are lost. Some of you have a call to disciple and help grow other people in the faith. And and, and when you stand on those things and say, God, this is what I stand for. This is what I pray for. And those things, sometimes when you're in that calling, you will get so overwhelmed because you can't do it on your own. But the Lord says, stand firm. And what you're looking for is the salvation of the Lord. Because God cares about that more than you care about that. God wants to bring a victory more than you want to see a victory in some of those situations. And, and so this is what they did. And one of the best things that they were doing at this time when it's saying, God, how, uh, how should I position myself and what should I stand for? They got to the presence of the Lord and they set their eyes on Jesus and they were looking for the answer from God. And believers who change the world around them, and you can pick any issue, whether it's on the political, spiritual, natural spectrum that we face in this side of eternity, believers who make an impact are the ones that stand on the principles of the word of God, but they don't do it in their own strength. They get in his presence and they look for the salvation of the Lord and they pray towards his victory and they say, God, I will always be ready and position myself to fight for the vulnerable, to move forward in areas that lead them closer to Jesus and I will trust that you're gonna bring salvation in an area. But if we never get in the presence of God under the word of the Lord and, and have our faith stirred up, the people, what really changed this situation was they heard a leader praying to God and reminding God of what he promised and who he was. And I think for Jehoshaphat, because he says he was afraid in verse three, what he was really doing is he was trying to stir his own faith as much as get everyone else hyped up that God can do this. 
And I don't care how long you've been leading people or what you've been doing. There are days you wake up and you say, Lord, I'm discouraged and I don't know how to fight this battle. So what do you do? You get in the presence of the Lord and you start reminding God of what he said because as you remind God of what he says, you're hoping to remind yourself that God is bigger than your situation. And the what and the how of faith, the first area that I want us to be challenged is, do we ask God, what should I stand for and how should I position myself? Because I think there are certain things that are for all believers throughout the Bible, but there are some things that God is going to pull on your heart and say, I have gifted you to bring change in this area. And when you start standing for people who need freedom in that area, you're going to have to position yourself in God's presence and look for his salvation because if you think you're going to save people by being this great person and I have a nice smile and I'm super charismatic and I'm going to change their lives, good on you, but the enemy knows how to come at you and you need the strength of the Lord. And when we ask God, how do I position myself, it changes the way we fight those battles. We trust the Lord in those. Okay, so is that good? So I, I believe that we're coming into a time where the church that asks God, what should I stand for and how should I respond, is going to start seeing people have a heart for pockets of areas that we've never seen freedom in before on a, on a mass scale. And as we collectively stand before the Lord and look for his salvation, we're going to see inroads into new areas that God lays on people's heart. But we got to get beyond the, well, why should I do that? I believe God's raising up people that beyond why should I do that, they're saying, God, what am I called to do and how am I going to do it? And how you position yourself is going to make all the difference in that area. So, okay, challenge area number two. Everyone say number two. The second what and the how kind of goes back to what Pastor Brett's been talking about the last couple weeks. And we're going to go to Acts 2.42. But the second area that I think we consistently need to be challenging ourselves in is what will we give ourselves to? And how will that shape the way we live? Because we all want to stand for a cause and put ourselves in a position to do something great. But I actually believe there's a humility and there is a laying down of our lives as we come to Jesus that says, God, I need to ask you, what am I willing to give myself to? And how am I going to let it change my everyday living? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I'm just going to read this. You've been in this the last couple of weeks, but it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So after Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2 and he preaches literally the first sermon of the church and he tells people the gospel, which is really simple, repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And, and it says, oh, but they continued and they devoted themselves. They said, I'm going to give myself to this. And I don't know about you, but... I'm constantly reminded by the Lord when I gave my life to him, there's times where I want to do what I want to do, and God says, no, 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 you, you committed to me. You surrendered to me. And I got to be like, oh, yeah, 
Lord, what did I, what will I give myself to and, and how is that going to change my life? Because I think we have a lot of people picking and choosing, but to follow Jesus is to say, you know, like Paul said, I die daily. Uh, and I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I die daily. Some days uh, it's killing me. And Jesus is letting, Jesus is just letting the natural things of life take some edges off me and work some things in me. And I, I have no choice but to surrender to him. But when was the last time that you sat honestly before God and let the Holy Spirit speak into your life and said, God, what should I be giving myself to right now that I haven't been? And how is that going to change my daily living? Because I tell you one thing, when you start giving yourself to the word of God, things are going to start popping up in your life that the Lord is going to start challenging you on. When you start giving yourself to prayer, things change, and it's usually not God. It's us. When we start giving ourselves to people, it costs us. And when we start saying, God, am I really willing to give myself for other people? My time, open my home, open my heart. I so appreciated what Kevin preached on a number of weeks back on hospitality. Because when we honestly ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in us what can I be giving myself to and how should that change my daily living, I guarantee you God will start showing you something and it won't be easy at first. I mean, one time when I was a young adult, I was a youth pastor and I got to go to young adults every Monday night and God bless our pastor at the time, but he just wanted to soak for hours. Same song for like 45 minutes. You were there, Brett, right? You remember that. I was like, Lord, can't this just end? I want to go home and watch Prison Break. <laughs> and I'm old, and we didn't have DVRs, and I couldn't rewind or skip things. I'm trying to record this thing on like a DVD burner or something like that, and VHS, and Brett and I would ask his dad to record something for us so we could watch it when we got home. And, you know, like, it's just, like, all of these things. And I remember a season where the Lord said, if you're going to give yourself wholly to this and lead people and minister, he says, I want you to give up your show. I'm like, but God, it's not wrong. It's not, sinful. it's not wrong. It's not sinful. But it's distracting you from the deeper purpose I have for you right now. And there will be seasons in life that God doesn't ask you to give up bad things. He'll ask you to give up good things that are keeping you from the calling he actually has for you. But I didn't call all my friends and say, hey, you all need to stop watching this because it can become a distraction in your life. That was God's word to me. There have been seasons in life where God's just like, give up this for a season and take that time and focus on me. Why? Because God's saying, I want your attention on what I'm calling you to more than the distraction than that thing is right now. You know, God bless calling people to do something and give something up in Lent, and all the guys are like, I'm going to give up sports for Lent, and then March Madness happens right before Easter. You know, it's a tough season to not watch sports or do those things. But, like, I believe that God at times will ask you to do things and say, will you surrender what you love to show that you love me and you're willing to go and do whatever I call you to? 
Because believers who ask the what and the how, they actually realize it changes their daily living. So what I spent money on before, I might not spend money on anymore. How I use my time might be different than how I did it before. Whenever I say, God, I want to give myself to you, we have to start saying, okay, well, how is this going to change my life and, and how am I going to walk this out? I love Acts 2.42 in the New King James where it says this. It says, and they continued steadfastly. Like devoted is a great word because devote means, uh, you know, if you look up the word devote, it means to give all or a large part of yourself to something. And, and, and that's what the believers did. They went all in on Jesus and it says they continued steadfastly and saying, God, if you want it, you can have it. And that turned into attendance at church. It turned into prayer. It turned into generosity. It turned into community, all of those things. But don't believe that it never cost them. It challenged them to say, God, if I honestly ask you, what do you want me to give myself to? They were beginning to ask after, well, how is this going to work? Because it's going to change the way I live, I interact, and the way I do my life. But I think when we do it, we come into that life that Jesus says we could have that we can't actually manufacture on our own. That's, it's a full life. It's an abundant life. It's that Zoe, it's a God life. It's something that only he could create for us. And, and as Christians and as believers, we should find so much fulfillment in doing the things that God's asked us to. And it doesn't mean we never have to sacrifice or give things up, but it means that the flourishing and the fulfillment that comes is so much better than what we're trying to chase and hold on to. But it's not always easy. And so when we are challenged in our faith, we have to ask ourselves a question, God, show me the what and show me the how because we need to surrender. So challenge area number one, what do I stand for and how do I position myself? I think we need to ask God that more often than not. Challenge area number two, I think we need to be asking God a little more often, God, what should I be giving myself to and how is this gonna impact and change my life? I mean, these are dangerous prayers and challenges because he will show you. But challenge area number three, and I think one of the most important things we can do as we walk with God is we ask this question, what do I have to offer and how will I use it? Because just as the what should I give myself to and how will it change my life, when we start saying, God, what do I have to offer and how will I use it? That goes to a whole nother level of surrender. Because people are like, oh man, I know. God just wants my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my good looks, and I'm willing to use all of those for Jesus. And then he says, okay, now use your car to drive that person to their appointment and open your home to invite people in and use your food to feed people who you know you need to be ministering to and open up your wallet and start giving me your bank account. And it's like, whoa, where are we going here? Well, I was going to talk about Ananias and Sapphira tonight too, but we're going we're gonna to pause here because when we say, God, what do I have to offer and how should I use it? The reality is there are certain things that God asks for in our relationship with him and, uh, you know, giving and, and surrender and all those things. It's, you know, God doesn't just want your money. I'll just tell you that. He wants all of you. So 
he wants your time, he wants your money, he wants your heart, he wants your family, he, he wants all of it. And there will be times that you are asked to make sacrifices in those areas to do the things that God calls you to do. And it's not to be a martyr in those things, but it's to honestly be ready and willing to hear the Holy Spirit say, God, what are you asking of me in this season? And am I, am I willing to be obedient and to do it? So Ananias and Sapphira, the interesting thing with them was nobody asked them to give that money. They just saw everybody else selling land and doing this, and they decided they were going to lie and keep some of it for themselves. And the apostles were like, listen, if you would have just decided to give half the money or whatever, like God would have been good with that. But it was because you're trying to make yourself look good and make it about you. There was a judgment because there's a holy God. And just side note on that one, you know, people died in the New Testament because this whole uh, lying to the Holy Spirit and the, the, the false prophets weren't really there. Like if God let them get away with that then, oh my goodness, the things that would have started happening in the church. But when we ask God, what do I have to offer and how will I use it? I think sometimes we get really stuck on that because some of us think we don't have a lot to offer. Or we'd rather look at other people and be like, oh, well, they have that and they can use this and that. But Acts chapter 3 shares a very interesting story right after we hear what's happening in the church. And this is actually another one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 and 10. I'm just going to read this and then we're going to close. Well, we're going to close after I say about five things afterwards. I'm not going to lie in the pulpit tonight. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at daily at the gate of the temple. It was called Beautiful Gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms, so like, he was begging for money, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. As he has fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, recognized him as the one who had been at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What do we have to offer and how will we use it? I think some of us get so stuck on what we don't have or how we can't help or how we can't make something better. You know, it's, it's something in us at times that we get so fixated on, there's a better person for the job, and I don't have as much money as this person, or I don't have as much talent as that person. And I think the Lord wants us as believers to quit focusing on what we don't have and really start asking God, what do I have, and how do you want me to use it? Because if Peter was so focused on, oh, well, I don't have money, so that means I can't do anything. And, and we're like, okay, well, every time I don't have money, I'm, I mean, if you want to, go pray, lay hands on every panhandler in the city, see them get healed, set free. I mean, you could do that if you want to. But Peter knew there was something that he could offer and something that he could do. And I think sometimes we're so caught in our own heads about, how we can't help or we can't make a difference or we can't do anything. We don't do what we can do. 
And the part I love about this scripture is it says this. It says, he takes the man by the hand and begins to pull him up. And it says, as he did that, God put strength in his feet and his ankles to walk. I think there are a lot of people that would actually follow Jesus and find a freedom and strength in him they never thought they could have if someone would reach out their hand and say, let me pick you up and bring you along until you have enough strength to walk on your own. This is the call of the church and discipleship. But we look at people and we're like, I can't help them through that. I don't have an answer for their broken marriage. I don't have an answer for this. And the reality is, is God knows what you don't have. But when we say, God, what do I have? I have availability. I have time. I can take their hand. I can sit beside them. I can pray with them through that situation. I can trust Jesus to be what only he can be to that person. And if we would actually say, God, what do I have to offer them? And how can I use what you've put inside of me to help strengthen them and lead them to you. I think our worlds would change. And I just want to challenge us to think outside of the idea that, well, if God wants something to happen, it'll all just happen. Because we do that sometimes. We think, well, if we make our church service so great, if God wants to fill the room, people will just start showing up. I'm telling you, people come to Jesus because other people reach out their hand and say, let me help you learn how to walk and find the strength that Jesus wants to put in your life. Churches grow. People get discipled because people stop focusing on what they don't have or what isn't perfect yet and all of that stuff. And they just start saying, God, use what I do have and you do the rest because I believe that you want to change people's lives. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I just want to pray over us as we close tonight and challenge you in these areas. We're in a unique season here at Highlands where it's still fresh. There's, a, there's an energy that says, I have to take ownership. I have to get involved. I get to be involved in these things. When churches hit a certain size, people are like, Pastor Jeremy, when are you going to plan another group for us? I'm like, the minute you tell me you have a heart to do something and you're going to lead a group. It changes because we, we get comfortable. And in a room this size, we start to see, i got to reach out. I've got to help someone, but can I tell you that if we actually started asking the Lord over and over again, Lord, show me what you're calling me to and show me how I need to do it, that process should never end in our faith. I believe people who've been in church 30, 40, 50 years should be just as big of a bringer and inviter of people to church and making disciples as someone who's so excited in their faith in the, the first year of salvation or getting to know Jesus. But somewhere along the way, we stop asking God about what and how and we start saying, well, if I can, if I feel like it, I'll show up if I want to. But I believe that God wants to use us to change and influence people around us. But it's gonna take a whole new level of surrender, my least favorite word, but it never goes away. 
And when we come back to the place of saying, Jesus, okay, I'll surrender tomorrow. I'll surrender next week. I'll surrender next year. I'll surrender when my kids are in elementary. I'll surrender when my kids are in high school. I'll surrender when they're young adults. I'll, I'll serve you and surrender. And I'll keep saying, God, what's next? How do I do it? What are you calling me to? How do I show up? What should I stand for? How do I position myself? Where should I give my time and my effort, my energy to? And how do I need to adjust my life to do what you've called me to do? And when we're constantly in that question of saying, God, show me the what, show me the how, you won't miss the purpose and plan of God for your life. And I believe so many more will find the purpose and plan of God for their life. So as we stand tonight, I just want to ask one question. Because for many of us, we can be challenged with these thoughts, but I do want to ask this. Maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you are still trying to figure out the why. You're trying to figure out the why of, well, why would God even care? Why would God love me? Why would God even want me? Why would he value me or have a purpose for my life? Well, I think I can help you with that. If you haven't figured out your why yet, you need to hear that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through his son, Jesus. God loved you so much. He loved me so much. He looked down from heaven and he said, oh, if I could do anything to have relationship with each man, woman, and child who was created in my image, who I breathed the breath of life into them, if, that, if I could have a relationship with them, if there was any way possible, God says, I would do it. And so while we were still dead in our sin and trespass, while we were still far from God and we didn't even know how badly we were messing things up and, and, and how horribly some of our decisions would lead us down the road, God says, I, in my love and grace and mercy, I'm gonna send my son. And he's gonna take your place. And he says, all you have to do is receive this free gift of salvation and surrender your heart to me. And sometimes we, we just wrestle and we still want to know, God, why? And I think it's easy for us to look at other people and be like, I could see how God loves them, but some of us, we really wrestle with, well, why does God love me? Because deep down in our heart, I know me. I know the me that not everyone else knows. But can I tell you that God is not scared of that? He is not pushed back by that. He simply says, I have a different plan. I have a better plan. I want a relationship with you. And you, if you would receive my son Jesus, he took your place. So all the things that you know that you've done and, and, and you've messed up and, and you feel shame and guilt about, my son paid the price for that. And by simply saying, Father, I receive your grace, I receive Jesus into my life, you can live as a son and daughter of the Most High God. And he will lead you. And he will walk with you. And he will show you your what, and he will show you your how, and he will take you one step at a time throughout your life 
ups, downs, highs, lows. You don't have to do it alone. Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Highlands podcast. If you are looking to get connected, head to saintschurch.ca. And if you are in the Edmonton area, join us for a service next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there.